Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the Endurance Horse Podcast. This is your host, Christina Hike, and this is Jim. The last episode was in September, and we took October off. We knew we were going to have a busy month, so that's why I did three in a row right away. But I'm excited that we made it to 12 episodes. That was my goal. I started in March, and I thought, well, if I could get 12 done, that would be a good thing. So it's just after Thanksgiving here. We hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. Weather's getting colder. It is getting colder. There's a little bit of snow floating around today here in Wisconsin. Jim and I just did a another 5K in Madison on Thanksgiving Day. That was fun. We we got the time we wanted to do. Of course, there was no horse involved, but yep. yeah, we went out and did the turkey trot, and then came home and ate turkey. Yes, we did. So, guys, we're just gonna keep this short and wrap it up. I hope you enjoy episode 12 of the Endurance Horse Podcast. I know I'm looking forward to it. See y'all later. Bye. This is Ken. Hi, Ken. This is Chris, Endurance Horse Podcast. I've had some pretty interesting people say they'd be on the podcast if I would just call them. Well, I'm a newbie, so I have a lot <laughs> about my first attempt. <laughs> You're not new to endurance events, right? You did the Ironman? I did the Ironman in Hawaii, and I did the Western States Endurance Run, and I've done 50-mile runs and things like that. But, yeah, it was really amazing how I got involved because my wife, we have a horse ranch here, and she raises Hanoverians and trains them. And and Mm -hmm. my daughters have been um, um, riding horses in Pony Club and competing forever. And um, and when I ran the Chicago Marathon a couple of years ago and then climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and my hip was really hurting really bad and I went to see an orthopedic surgeon and he said, you need to stop running. Wow. And um, at that time, my daughter said, we've been talking about doing the Tevis forever, you know, and watching the finish. And my daughter says, Dad, we're going to do the Tevis. And that mm-hmm. was my chance. I said, okay, I've got, you know, all these great opportunities here. My wife has all these horses and my daughter knows how to ride. And my daughter and I are going to do this together. So that was kind of like, you know, God saying, hey, this is your chance. Do it. So how has riding been for your hip? Has that been okay? Yeah, it hurts. Um, It's kind of amazing. I need to have my hip done. And it probably hurt me. It hurts my rides um, because I can't jump off and jump on the horse as easy as others. Um, It's really amazing because since I ride a Hanoverian, they're big horses. My hip's a little bit wider. And um, also, I ride my daughter's Arab, and it's a little bit, it's a smaller horse, and, and that feels a little better. And if I ride her in a shuttle, it feels better, too. So you kind of, you know, you take care of it. And i got to have my hip done sometimes. Now, i got to tell you, Chris, because people ask me this, you know, what's harder, uh, you know, the Ironman Hawaii, Ironman in Hawaii or the um, Western States or the Tevis. And I thought the Ironman in Hawaii, yes, it was difficult. And the Western States is very difficult. There's no question. I thought the, the um, Tevis was much more difficult. Um, yeah. Yes, there was massive heat this year. I get it. But um, also, um, just having to take care of your horse, it's just not taking care of you. 
you got to guess what your horse is thinking and doing. And, you know, you need water, electrolytes, and make sure your horse is being fed. And, and you t- kind of take the second fiddle. In fact, I even had to have a, a list of stuff for me, how much I had to drink. You know, I laminated a drinking plan and a electrolyte plan for myself and a pace plan because I got so involved with the horse, I, I forgot to take care of myself. I found that out doing 50-mile rides. So it's really, I really think that Tevis is much harder than all those others because you got to care for someone else. So how, how did the Tevis become a goal? It was your daughter's idea? Yeah, since we, um, you know, since we live here um, near Auburn, we would go every year and watch the finish of the Tevis. And um, I, I kind of thought at one point my daughter and I, hey, let's do this, Alicia. Well, it was a year and a half ago, almost two years ago on Christmas, my daughter says, we're going to do this, Dad. This is one where I had to hit problems. And, um, and we set the goal of doing it. And, and I knew that, um, and I don't take this lightly, that Western States Trail could chew you up and spit you out. It's, it's really a difficult trail. So I knew we had to train intensely. I, I started actually, I had ridden many, many years ago, but I had to take up riding again. And um, we, my daughter and my wife put me on horses, and they, on different horses, and they put me in the arena. And um, they worked on my skill. They had doing some jumping. They go, Dad, we got to work on your skill. It's really bad, and um, and it, so it's really taken a, a while. But um, I get to now get back on the on the trail, and um, and yes, ride with my daughter. I get to go on the Western States Trail and and see all the beautiful scenery and just enjoy it. And um, but yeah, that was like a year and a half ago, year and eight months ago that we set that goal. And my daughter and I trained hard, and um, and made plans and and set the. You know, rides, we had to have the 50-mile rides and, and put those together and made a plan way in advance. And, and um, when we got to the um, starting line of the Tevis, it was a mile, it was a year and a half in the making um, of training, and, and, you know, intensely. So it was a lot of fun. So what do you think, um, what did this ride mean to you? Oh, uh, well, for one thing, two things. Um, for one thing, it was my daughter. My daughter's 22 years old, and you know you always want your your kids to to um, do something or you know to learn from you know a father to a daughter. And one of the things I wanted my daughter to learn was you could do tough things. And mm-hmm. um, and for me as a father, it was great that I could spend time with my daughter and train and do something that was very very difficult. And uh, my daughter did finish in 23 hours. Uh, mm-hmm. But for me, it was something for me. It was like, it's like a spiritual experience because I love that trail so much. I always come back and tell my, my wife, this is where God hangs out, you know. Uh-huh. It's so beautiful. The, the, the smells, the sights, the water, you know, all that stuff. And I get to go out there and just have a great time and enjoy all that. And now I'm doing it on my horse and my horses. You know, my horse is a personality. Like everyone knows how, how much you love your horse and the personality your horse has. And, and you kind of just enjoy it together with your horse. You know, like people run with their dogs, so I get to go out with my horse. <laughs> I like that. That's great. So can you tell me a little bit about the horse you, you rode at Tevis? Yes, my horse is a Hanoverian. And um, and my, war, my wife um, bred and raised and trained it. 
And um, it's trained for dressage, and I think it's gone to the second level. It's gone down 100 jumpers, and I think it's uh, 3.9 or something jumping. Wow. But, um, or, and and as what happened was is the horse just did not like that arena work. Yes, the horse would do it, but after a while, the horse would just get, you know, I'm tired of this. My, do- my wife says, why don't you try this horse on the trail? And I tried it on the trail, and, um, and she loves the trail. In fact, she loves it a little bit too much because oh. she's looking around. You know, we're going around Pucker Point on Western States, and she's, like, looking and going, oh, isn't that neat? Look at that canyon down there. Oh, and I'm like, Fanny. Her nickname's Fanny. I didn't give it to her, and I don't like that name, but it's Fantasia. But anyway, so I have to, like, like a fan. Look where you're going, you know. Mm-hmm. And she's looking around. In fact, yesterday we were out riding, and and she rides along right next to the you know side of the, the cliff. And I'm like giving her a leg yield and pulling mm-hmm. her head, and and um and she's still like you know I don't like to get near that bank, so I'm next to the side here. And she's looking around at the water and listening to the water, and you know, and and she loves it. She's actually um, pretty old. She's an 18-year-old Hanoverian, but she's got low miles, which is good, steam hands, and mm-hmm. she's got great big muscles. Here's my daughter's horse, which is a very accomplished Arab. It's got these little tiny muscles, thin skin, so when we climb up Devil's Thumb, you know, the 36 which backs on a hot day, mm-hmm. that horse just flies up there. It's got little tiny muscles that, you know, push it up, way up there fine and um, doesn't create a lot of heat. And here's my horse that has these big old muscles that create lots of heat and the, the skin is thick and it doesn't dissipate the heat well. So I have to get up there to the top of Devil's Thumb and throw lots of water on her to cool her yeah. off. So she's not a very logical horse for it, but she's my little fanny girl. <laughs> yeah, we're going to try again. So what was your greatest lesson you learned at Tavis? Oh, boy. Well, since I got pulled at um, at last chance, my greatest lesson that I learned was you have to be constantly on all the time. Um, it's I rode a number of 50s, back-to-back 50s, and, and I was just kind of, you know, would ride and enjoy and cruise along, which is fine, but in the Tevis, you can't do that. And I took off, and, and I was just having a good time. And it wasn't until I got to high camp when I realized I was, like, pushing the, you know, time limit. And I can't believe it just so close, so, you know, early on. And um, and I said, wow, you really have to start picking it up. And um, at that point, I got up to Watson Monument up to the top. And I will tell you, we flew um, through Granite Chief Wilderness, that is one tough ride, and we took big chances. We, I, I was with two other ladies, and, and we knew we were way behind, and we had to make up time. And, um, and then we got to um, you know, Red Star Ridge, and, and one of the ladies actually got pulled, and I think it was because Granite Chief, we were riding so aggressively, and, and getting into Robinson Flat for the hour, um, you know, we were still pushing the time limit. Um, and then on into... Um, um, last chance. Now, the, is what I, you asked me what I got out of it is the biggest thing was you have to keep on pushing. And I thought that first 50 miles was going to be something that I could just cruise. And mm-hmm. I, I thought the most, dis- uh, the most difficult part of the trail was going to be the next 18 miles, last chance to, um, to um, Forest Hill, because those are the three canyons, you know, with Devil's Thumb, 
you know, down the Swinging Bridge up to Devil's Thumb and, and down, um, you know, the next canyon and up to Michigan Bluff and then the Easy Canyon, which is Volcano Canyon. But, um, you know, the first 50 miles, believe it or not, um, in those first 50 miles, we climbed, in fact, my GPS watch told me we climbed um, 6,302 feet and we wow. descended um, 8, or 8,727 feet, which is really, really amazing. Yeah. Um, considering, um, I mean, that's that's not a normal. That would be a difficult 50 mile, and you got 50 more. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's what I thought was found really interesting is I was moving. I mean, I thought I, um, I thought I the, the the hour at Robinson and the other, um, you know, stops. I took minimal amount of time. I thought because I knew I had to keep on going. My my GPS watch told me that I had an average moving pace of 5.6 miles an hour, and um, I thought that was adequate to finish because I mean if you if you figure it out how long does it take you to go 100 miles and you know an average fish five miles an hour and and you're going to finish in 20 hours but then you've got your hour holds you know and then yeah. stops, but but you cannot do that you have to 5.6 miles an hour and that was only um, five minutes um, below the cutoff time. So you really, really have to push. And in Granite Chief, it's a lot more technical than you could ever imagine. And we took so much risk. We went through there. A lot of times it was so rocky we couldn't see the trail because it was overgrown and going through water. And um, and we took chances through there. And, boy, you have to push. That was my big thing. Would you do it again? Yeah. I had to talk to my wife about that. My wife was <laughs> absolutely not. And, um but I got some unfinished business to take care of there, and mm-hmm. um, and yes, I definitely want to do it again. And um, I'm gonna I, there's there's some retooling and readjusting, step up my rides, and when I do mm-hmm. 50 milers, it can't just be you know relaxing. I have to step it up and say, okay, we're gonna really move out because there were so many times in the last 50 miler I did the um, fire up. And and I should, I could have been really moving out, and I was riding with some people, and I said, ah, we'll finish okay in the time, and and we did, but you can't do that. You have to start saying, the horse can be well trained, but physically, I need to be well trained too, because mm-hmm. like I say, that first 50 miles, you know, it is I mean, you know, 6,000 feet climb and almost 9,000 down is that's pretty intense 50 mile, very technical course. Um, and, and you have to have a body that's well-trained to, to be able to do that. Just jumping on your horse, you know, every weekend probably is not going to do it. What did it mean for you to get to watch your daughter and her buckle? What was um, that? Yeah. Oh, man, I was, um, in fact, I'm, when, I, when she crossed the finish line, in fact, I saw a whole bunch of friends of mine because I circled around and, and you know, I, I went to Forest Hill and some of the people I was riding with, I, I came in and I rooted them in after I got pulled. And, and then at the starting or at the finish line, and I came and watched those guys and rooted them in because I would ridden with them. But when my daughter came in, I was like crying. It was really an emotional thing. And um, when she received her buckle, I just gave her a big old hug. And I was crying because, you know, yeah. my daughter had, it was, it's difficult. It's very difficult doing the Tevis, and it's a big achievement. And I don't, at 22 years old, maybe, she, she understands that it's a big achievement, but it's a big achievement to do that and, and to ride all night and, and the difficulties. Um, she was riding and on the California Street Trail. It's really funny. I don't know how you do this, but um, her horse, the blanket came off. 
or the, 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 the saddle blanket. It came out. It's like, how do you do that? So she was riding with the saddle on the horse, and is what they had to do. She um, went to a, a station, to a watering station, and they took a blanket and, and, and folded it and then um, put the billets in for the stirrups and then used that for the blanket on in. And uh, I don't know how she did that, but, but she had to overcome that, and that was really cool. And, um, and she was riding the cutoff like I was, too. And um, she finished with an hour to spare. Actually, she ended up really moving in the in the cool night. But it's a big. It was big. I was I was crying. <laughs> There's a a small number of people in the world who have accomplished that feat of finishing yeah. the Travis. So I I think that, like you said, as she gets older, the the magic of what she did will sink in even more. Yeah, I mean, I still think about that. You know, doing the Western States hundred mile run. And now that I can't do it, I mean, I was training. I wanted to do another qualifier. But as fun goes on, you go, wow, that was really amazing being able to do that and putting your mind to it and training hard to do it and overcoming the difficulty. And um, and I'm sure as she, you know, time goes on, I mean, she cherishes it now in her buckle and everything. But as time goes on, she's going to go, wow, that was really big. That was really difficult. You know, I could do hard things. She was saying, Dad having kids after this is going to be nothing. <laughs> I just think that it's just an awesome gift for a father to give his daughter to have done all that training with her. Um, I just think that's an amazing gift. One last question for you, which was, what is your advice for anyone who's going to attempt this ride for the first time? What would you um, think your most valuable piece of advice would be? Prepare and train intensely, um, diligently, um, don't take it lightly because, like I say, this trail could eat you up. And, you know, make sure you can find some hills. If possible, come out here and train um, and have a plan to do it. And when you train, train with, you know, intensity. Um, train, just not, you know, an easy walking around. Um, I was on the trail, and I heard some ladies talking about doing the tethers, and they're just walking around and doing their, you know, 20-mile ride in five hours. It's, and I wanted to say, you know, that's not going to cut it. You need mm -hmm. to be out there training, having fun doing it. You know, on the tethers trail, you walk where you have to walk, but the rest of it you're trotting, <laughs> or else you're not going to make it with the time. Sometimes I avoid riding in the heat, but I imagine yeah. if you're training for the tethers, Maybe you might not go out and, and work hard in the heat, but maybe you still need to get out there. Yeah, in fact, it's really amazing because um, another woman, Anne Marie, who actually um, rode the horse that my daughter has, and she got 19th a couple of years ago. And um, her advice to me, and she's done the Tevis many times, but her advice to me was, she says, Ken, you're going to hate it, but it's what you need to do is go out in the heat of the day and um, and you go out there and train. You're going to hate it. Your horse is going to hate it. But you need to do that, and you need to train. Because I will tell you, it's really amazing because there's lots of areas that's in the shade in the Tevis, and it is true. But, boy, I'll tell you, some of those are in the open, and some of those, the, the wind comes up the, the side of the hill, and it's like a blast furnace. It is so hot. And it really got to me. I um, tr tried using the cooling vest, which, which worked pretty well for me. And um, at a, you know, vet stop, I would throw it in the water, then, then, um, then um, you know, wear it again. But it's so important to, um, you know, hydrate. You know, of course, um, clipping 
you know, your horse and, and my horse is really clipped. Um, you know, and, and get your horse ready for it and then get yourself ready for it too. But yeah, you need to train in that heat. I really believe that. It's very it's it's very difficult. It's very hard. I think if you're smart about it, um I know next year I'm definitely going to ride even when it's hot. And I can tell you, I, I feel a little ashamed to say I didn't do it this year. Um, I think I'm changing my thought process on that. Yeah, well, you have to train for it because, boy, if you don't train for that heat, um, you know, when it hits you, when you're out there. In fact, I did a number of canyon rides, and um, which is going from Robinson down to um, Forest Hill, you know, where you get the three big canyons. And um, I asked the people, I said, hey, what's the difference between this and the, and the Tempest? And they said, oh, it's much hotter than the Tempest. Um, and, and I was saying, ah, oh, that's crazy because it's a hot day now. But I'll tell you what, the day in the Tempest, I mean, that's why they only had 42% of the people finish. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, I mean, I had a friend of mine who was waiting for me at, with the crew at Michigan Bluff, and she says, Ken, I saw very experienced horse people, and they said this is the ride from hell because mm. it's so hot, and their horses were wasted, and they were wasted as riders. And and she said, Ken, they are very, very experienced riders with experienced horses, and um, and they said it was very, very difficult. So, And she was trying to encourage me. said, Ken, don't feel bad about pulling out. How was the smoke to deal with? I don't, I don't know. Mm. I don't I don't. I didn't think it was that bad. Is okay. is the funny thing was is um the dust. I mean mm. you are and you have to wear you wear a bandana, you know the, uh, it's because on the trail there's lots of horses in front of you. In some places like in the Granite Chief um, Wilderness, um, there's like dust that's so thick and um and so you wear a bandana and you just wonder what that does for your horse too because I mean your horse mm-hmm. is that stuff. And you can't put a bandana on your horse. In fact, my daughter was telling me, I still wore my sunglasses, but my daughter said, you had to take my sunglasses off, Dad. It was just filled with dust. I couldn't see any. <laughs> so I kind of think that the dust is was more of a you know consequential than actually the smoke. I look forward to hearing your story. I don't know if you're going to do it again next year, but I hope you think of us, and we can follow up with an interview next year, too. Absolutely. Now, are, have you done it? Or are you going to do it? Kevin? I told my husband, I said, really? I just had this idea for the podcast. It doesn't mean I'm even a good endurance rider or a good horse, you know, rider at all. But I just, I was really felt driven to figure this out and do it for people. I don't plan on taking sponsors or making any money from this podcast. I just really felt like it was a a positive thing I could do for people and but um but I don't think that disqualifies me qualifies me from doing the podcast because I'll still be here cheering yeah. people on. Yeah, and you know what is um for instance Karen Donnelly, she wanted a few years ago. And um Karen and I have gotten to be and my daughter's gotten to be friends. But um she wanted a few years ago and she only does fifties. And she mm-hmm. says now the Tevis she does every year because it's mm-hmm. it's kinda of magical, you know, you gotta do the Tevis. Hello again, Tara Lee Roy checking in from Wisconsin. Just thought I would give a little update on my LD progress this year. But first, I just wanted to say how much I've enjoyed hearing all the Tevis stories. 
uh, really put it in perspective how challenging, not just Tevis is, but just how challenging our sport in general is. And kudos to all of those who just get get through it despite everything that's thrown at them. I have a tendency to say, for me, just getting to a ride with a horse is half the battle. As a parent with two kids and a full-time job and a full plate of volunteering community service, which includes gymnastics, 4-H, and a host of other activities, the time I have left to ride is not nearly as much as I'd like. So for me, getting to a point where I can even think I have a horse that's trained, conditioned, and sound all at the same time and ready to go to a ride is just a big win for me. I think I might have to use a motto that's something like, uh, to get to a ride is half a win to finish is a bonus. So my plans of doing three LDs this year with my mare, Mariah. She's a 14-year-old Anglo-Arab that uh, I'm embarrassed to say I raced and trained, but didn't actually start training her until she was like 10. Uh, thank you, children and life and work for that. So despite very sporadic and minimal riding, she's made a lot of progress in the last two summers. We did our first LD attempt together last year at the Bone Crusher Ride in Palmyra, which just happens to be a few miles from where we live, and it's on trails that we ride and condition in all the time. So it didn't require having the added stress of travel or camping to go there. And unfortunately, that ride ended in a rider option pull at the half related to uh, some muscle soreness in the rear that I believe was related to a spook at the trailer in the morning where she pulled back and broke a halter and uh, just kind of went downhill from there. So even though we didn't finish, it was a learning experience for her and she was able to get a sample of what I hope the future held for us both. Uh, I'll just chalk that up as a expensive training ride. So this year, spring was a little late in coming to Wisconsin. I don't do much riding in the wintertime just to based on the conditions that I have to deal with and I don't have indoor facilities to ride in. So it was pretty late when we started actually getting able to ride. So my initial plans in being able to have horses ready to ride in June at an LD just didn't work out for me. One horse was conditioned and came up lame and the other horse was sound but not conditioned. So poor planning on my part, I guess. So it turns out that our next ride would be bone crusher again uh, in July. So that gave us an, another month of conditioning and I felt at that time that she was a lot better prepared uh, physically and emotionally to be able to try again. So I was pretty excited. Um, the That day before my daughter Bailey, who's eight, and you'll hear from her I think a little later, uh, we volunteered for the day. It was kind of fun. I always liked the opportunity to volunteer. Gave me an opportunity to brush up on all things endurance uh, since it's been a while since I actually finished a ride. Um, and it was nice to spend the day getting to know ride management. I have to give a shout out to the Ericsons. Amber, you rock. I don't know how you do what you do, but you are my idol. Uh, your whole family is great. And uh, it was really nice to, to get to spend the day um, getting to know some new people. Uh, I always enjoy scribing for the vets kind of a free education. I take advantage of it. Uh, so that's always uh, fun. And then my daughter and I also took her camera and we were catching pictures at the out check of riders coming in and going out. Uh, it was Bailey's first time at a ride so she had absolutely no idea what to expect but she learned quickly how nice everyone was and I appreciate uh, how welcoming everyone was there and letting Bailey help when she could, and smiling for the camera when she was trying to take their picture. 
And another bonus of spending the day volunteering was I got to meet some fellow podcasters. So that's always fun when you finally get to put a face to a name and a story that you've heard. So that was fun for me. So Saturday was a lot of fun volunteering and meeting everybody and talking to so many people. So I was really optimistic on Sunday when we saddled up to attempt our second healthy ride at Bone Crusher. Um, I felt Mariah was pretty good to go and that we would have a successful day. But unfortunately, when we got to the mid-vet check, she was off in the rear. I was crushed again. But it turned out this year the rocks were unforgiving. And she wasn't the only one that got extremely foot sore that day. So I felt a little bit better, but it's still painful. So even though we do the bulk of our training barefoot on those same trails, and I did put hoof protection on her front, I didn't put anything on the rear. She'd never been ridden to the point in the past where rear protection was ever needed. So again, another painful learning experience. Um, but still consider it forward progress. She'd face some new challenges. Otherwise, she vetted out great. Uh, so I'll take what I can get and just chalk it up as another expensive training and conditioning ride. So at this point, we're 0-2. Uh, not exactly how I pictured my triumphant return to endurance. And a little depressing for my daughter's first time to come see mom, and it ends up in us not finishing. Um, so that deflated my bubble a little bit. So when my good friend Chris talked me into going up to the Louise Rydell Broadbuster ride a few weeks later, I really wanted to go, but in my heart, I wasn't overly confident that it was going to end any better. Uh, that ride would involve a bit of a trailer ride and camping, which Mariah had not done any camping yet. So I brought along a pasture mate for her, partly for moral support, because he's a seasoned traveler and pretty laid back, and also partly as a backup in case things didn't go as planned with Mariah. Turns out Mariah was the better camper of the two, and she settled in without any issues. Uh, it actually behaved herself for most of the weekend in camp, so that was a pleasant surprise. Go figure. So I was really shocked Saturday morning when I mounted, and she proceeded to have a panic attack and run backwards at the starting line while everyone else was going forwards. And just for extra fun, she threw in a few above-air antics, so I was really thankful for the security of my Australian stock saddle at the time. So I managed to stay topside, so for me that was a win. Um, turned out the ride start had to go right past our camp and her nickering buddy, and she really decided that she didn't want to go alone. So after everyone had left and was well started down the trail, here comes Chris and her warhorse junior to the rescue. I'd never been so happy to see those two. Um, once Mariah saw a familiar trail buddy, Junior came over and walked up to her and whispered some sweet nothings in her nostrils. She just took a deep breath, settled right down, and started moving down the trail without issue. And I gotta tell you, the next 25 miles was absolutely one of my most favorite and memorable rides for so many reasons, despite a less than perfect start. Chris was bringing Junior back from a leg injury, so it had been a couple of years since he'd done a ride, so she wasn't really sure what to expect, and her plan was to turtle. Um, and even though we've been riding together on the trails for several years, this was the first time that we've actually made it together to an endurance ride. So it was kind of special for us. Um, so the first loop, kind of uneventful. We were very conservative, hopeful, nervous. As we neared the mid-vet checkpoint, we kind of both kind of looked at each other and, you know, okay, 
what happens happens. The first loop, if nothing else, was a lot of fun, and we got this far, and and uh, we were hoping that we would both make it through, but not overly optimistic that both of us would, just based on our history. So, anyways, turns out we worried for nothing. Both the horses vetted out awesome, and uh, turns out that uh, Mariah turned into a fire-breathing, dancing dragon at the PR. Totally surprised at her. I refused to stand still antics, but I was secretly impressed that she had no trouble meeting post criteria while dancing. Um, sorry, Josh. I hope you still have all your toes. Um, clearly, she needed more miles at that point, and I was more than happy to give them to her. So the second one was even more fun as we were both able to relax a little. We even managed to work our way up despite our relatively conservative pace. Um, our, our hope... Our plan was to turtle, our hope was to finish, and the reality was that it was turning out much better than what we had we had hoped for. So, um, And then remember, there was one stretch of wide open road in the last few miles. Horses were feeling good and wanted to run a little, so we let them open up a little and, and canter side by each, and that was kind of a, a very special moment to, to feel that much horse underneath us at that point in the ride, and we felt pretty confident about... Uh, how we'd look at the finish. And as we're going along, I realized that so many others rode that exact same trail that day, and every one of them probably experienced it a little bit differently. And that's kind of one thing that I really love about endurance is we can all go down the same trail, but it's not the same trail for all of us going down it. And on a day that we loved the footing and the train and everything else, I know there were those that fell victim and were pulled, and I feel for them. And I know in days when I thought maybe the trail was perfect, it might have been boring or less than perfect for others but everyone had a different story to tell for the same terrain and I just want to share there's kind of one point why this ride was so special for me there was one point in the second loop as we were nearing the end and we came out of the woods into a small clearing and I remember seeing the sun it was shining like a beacon on this one spot and I, and I looked down to where it appeared to be pointing and I saw this beautiful fluffy gray feather and it wasn't like the normal turkey or usual beaten down feather that you might see in the woods. And it immediately made me think of an angel. And the color of it was the exact same color of my dearly departed grandmother's hair, who I, who I miss dearly. And at the same time that I, I saw that feather, I remember a very distinctive wind just came blowing out of nowhere. And it was really weird because I remember thinking I hadn't felt the wind stir all day long. The wind had been completely calm. And at the same moment that that wind stirred, I immediately remembered how I felt when the wind was blowing at my mother's funeral and I scattered her ashes. So at that moment, I got goosebumps because I knew right then, right there, as I held my grandma's cross that I had around my neck and I held it in my hand, I knew that both my mom and my grandma were there that day and they were watching me finally get to do something again that I loved. My mom always rode a, a little bay mare with a side of crazy, and my grandma never wanted me to ride alone. So it seemed all of a sudden to make perfect sense to me that day that my little bay mare threw in a little bit of crazy, and that I finally got to ride with my very dear friend. Um, it was a perfect ride, a perfect moment, and it brought tears to my eyes. So at that moment, we knew hugs were in order, right where we were on the trail, 
So if anybody had come up behind us, we probably would have looked a little ridiculous. Chris leaning down from her 17-2 hand, Belgian saddlebred warhorse, and me reaching up on my little bay mare. But it was it was a perfect moment. Two two girls, the horses of their dreams, on the trail together, um, and a trail that brought tears to our eyes and goosebumps to us. It was pretty awesome. So we finished the trail and we rode into camp and we just beamed at our final vet checks. Both horses vetted out awesome. My mare still had a little bit of crazy in her and definitely got me thinking that uh, she may make a 50 mile horse yet. So I'm optimistic maybe by the end of next year we'll be putting some more miles on her. And I remember the sweetest words I heard that day came from Dr. Gam when she said, congratulations, you've got your completion. I was so excited. I hugged her. Probably not normal protocol to hug the ride vet, but I just had to, and she happened to be the closest victim. I wanted to give a shout-out to Chris and Josh and her whole family for pitching in the crew for me. Uh, I felt spoiled, never really having had much help before as far as the ground crew, so the whole weekend was so much fun. Uh, it also happened to be my birthday weekend, and I can honestly say that was probably one of my favorite birthday weekends ever. So the third time was a charm for me. We finally got our completion. After going 0-2, it can be hard to buckle down and, and keep giving it a go and not give up. But with Chris's help and uh, support of, of a lot of friends and family, it, it, it finally happened. So I'm optimistic for the future. I'm hoping to squeeze in at least one more LD this season. And with any luck, my daughter Bailey will be trying one together with me. She rode for the very first time for five and a half hours and survived and decided that she could actually see herself doing a 25-miler. So now she just has to convince her pony of the same. So with any luck, we'll be seeing some of you out on the trail again this year. Until then, ride happy. Hello, this is Melissa Coolidge reporting in from Wisconsin. We've had a pretty exciting last two weeks in endurance riding. I've actually had two horses kind of achieve new milestones in their endurance career. I have Chasmine, who did her first 50 uh, two weeks ago at the Kiwana ride. That ride is extremely cool. It, uh, the vetting area and the camping area is in, a, is in a really nice fairground. So you have electricity generally, you have stalls, stall access if you want it and um, some very nice trails going out of that, that facility. So if you have time to trail ride or head up there or even um, do the endurance ride next year, I highly recommend it. People in Northern Michigan are so nice. And that early fall timing, the weather, there's no more beautiful weather. You get, you know, like 0% humidity, warm but crisp, kind of 75 high weather. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just like the perfect weather for endurance riding. So we went out there, we did our thing. Chasmine, uh, you know, many young horses, they, they, they kind of, they get past that 35 mile mark, get to 40 miles and they sort of go, oh my God, what are we doing? This is, this is really hard, you know, especially that first time. And, and usually that barrier is psychological. You have to kind of get them past the point where they, where they believe that they can actually do the, the distance that you're asking them to do. Not so with Chasmine. Chasmine, got stronger as the day went on and that last loop she you know had more energy than than most horses have on their first loop so I generally like to try to teach a horse to have negative splits although I don't normally expect it on their very first ride and um, this horse 
she was so on it that I was able to let her canter the very last loop. So we had there were six starters and three finishes. We came in second and uh, vetted out with all A's. Even more goofy is I have a picture of her, and I swear to God, she is smiling at the end of this 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 ride. So. I think, you know, it, this was a horse that took me a long time to train, a long time to settle. I think she's finally realized that this is it. This is all you're asking me to do. I love this sport. Why didn't you do this with me earlier? Well, you know, because she hadn't matured enough to do it. So I think um, I think she's eager and ready to go again. You know, it's funny is she's the alpha mare in my Arabian pasture. And I think the, you know, she wants to be the center of attention every time I go out to the to the gate so you know I have to I have to fend the horses off because they're all wanting to stick their nose in the halter but I think that's probably a good a good problem to have so Jasmine you know we let her go I drove home after the day after let her go in the pasture and she went galloping off to brag to her friends what she'd been doing so all in all a pretty a pretty cool experience for Jasmine and she did a phenomenal job so that was her the other thing that I also did in the last week is um, completed a first hundred on JG Short Stuff. So Short Stuff is the one that I took to Northern Highlands a few weeks ago. Um, she, you know, she turned out to be in amazing shape there. Came in first place with a, tied with another horse. So we decided to do the hundred for Colorama. So that ride. We expected to show up and have, you know, probably eight to ten hundred mile entries, but I can tell you that it was much harder than we were expecting. Typically, Wisconsin this time of year has about a high of about 65, cool, crisp. Usually at this ride, I have to put a butt rug on the first loop and coolers at all the vet holds. Well, this ride, it was about 85 hundred percent humidity and because of the rain we had a few weeks ago and all the flooding the mosquitoes were like nothing I've ever seen if you've ever seen the movie Alfred Hitchcock the birds I feel like that was what the mosquitoes were like so uh, that was kind of exciting we went through a lot a lot of bug spray on this ride so anyway you know we started off with with five horses in um, and for various reasons folks got pulled throughout the day and at 75 miles, we were the last horse on the on the track. So, and even even before that, our buddy had been pulled at 31 miles. So we were alone for 70 miles. Well, you know, it's one thing to do an endurance ride when there's lots of horses on the track and you have other horses to get to keep you motivated, and a whole other thing to do it when you're the only horse out there. So your horse has no other horse to kind of build build confidence with you know and you're and of course the horse thinks you're freaking nuts for taking him that far you know they're like wait a second we've never gone this far did mom lose her mind you know so then of course uh, we also on the same trail there were seven tornadoes that went through the couple weeks before and I have to say the DNR moved heaven and earth to get that trail back open and um, clear a path for us so that we could we could continue to do the ride. They had fresh, you know, obviously because they had freshly, you know, had to actually bulldoze like all the downed trees and things out of the way and there hadn't been any rain, of course, the one concern I had about the trails was that they would be mystery holes and things like that just because, you know, it takes water to compact trails. So 
Uh, we had to really take our time in those areas. I pretty much walked through all of that because there's no way I'm gonna put my horse at risk over over that. So we, you know, so we planned on, on taking it slow. And the other thing that happened was, you know, with the mosquitoes being that bad, once it got dark out, that light was like a mosquito beacon. So, um, you know, I, I, I we did a lot of the ride with the light off. In addition, of course, uh, less luck would have it, we had a lot of fog. So, you know, if you had the light on, you were a mosquito beacon and, you know, your light's going straight into the fog anyway, so you can't see. If you the light off, the fog is blocking the light from the moon, so you can't, couldn't really see. So we had to really take it slow in the dark too because it just, visibility wasn't good. There was really no way to get good visibility. And there were large sections of the trails I had not done before previously. Um, on this on this particular trail system so it's hard to know like since these are the kettle moraines there's a lot of up and down everything is either gradually climbing or gradually decreasing and you don't really want to fall off uh, the edge of a little you know hill in the uh in the dark so we took our time and uh like I said we were the only one only ones to finish but you know when we came into that the second to last or to to the last hold point you know, the, the, the horse looked so good. I mean, she definitely had A's on everything. So um, I'm super, I was so excited and so pleased to see that. And then, you know, and, and also vetted in beautifully at the end. So, you know, she, she was, of course, being the only horse to finish, she was also BC. But I strongly believe that regardless, um, whether there were other horses in the field or not, that she would have been deserving of the BC award um, so that was really, really exciting. So I'm so proud of this horse. I will never forget the mosquitoes. I think we went through like two full things of fly bug spray and like four things of off during the whole experience. So um, I sure hope that I do not encounter such mosquitoes again. But because um, it was like the bug spray did nothing. So that was that was really fun. I, you know, and I think I have mosquito bites on top of mosquito bites. So, but either way, I'm so proud of my horse and she did such a great job. So that was awesome. So I did have a couple questions from people about my electrolytes and my electrolyte usage. So I thought I could share them on here as well before I close. So uh, one of the things I've learned from going to the Southeast on some of these FEI rides is uh, we've been pulling electrolyte electrolyte levels in the blood at the end of rides to kind of get a better handle on are we electrolyting enough so one of the things I think that people generally believe it is is if my horse is drinking then then they have enough electrolytes I was one of those people who believed that as well but I also have two horses that drink really 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 well on trail so it can be deceiving so the thing about it is, is even if your horse is drinking, you can still be deficient in electrolytes. Electrolytes aren't just important to get your horse to drink. They're also really important um, for muscle contraction. So if you're low on electrolytes, your horse can get a cramp and it can have nothing to do with their, you know, their physical readiness for the ride. So I think that's, that's something that's really important to know. Um, and if you ever get a chance to go where they have a blood analyzer at a ride, I highly encourage you to pull blood at the end of the ride and learn about where your electrolytes kind of ended up at. So we use a couple of different things to kind of keep the electrolytes in check. I generally give two doses of electrolytes at every hold, two in the morning before, before we start and two at the end when we're done. 
Um, I start electrolyting a couple days before with a product called uh, from Kentucky Equine Research called Restore SR. It is a eight hour control release electrolyte. I like it because one, it's um, control release generally also protects products through the stomach. So you don't have to worry about the electrolytes kind of irritating the stomach, which is one of, you know, to me, one of the big concerns about giving a lot of electrolytes. Um, and, you know, gets her started to hydrate early. So the more hydrated they are when they go into the ride, the more hydrated they will be at the end. So that's, that, that helps too. And, and just sort of gets them a, a head start on, on being electrolyted. The other, pro, you know, then I also use a, you know, try to find a sweat balanced electrolyte. There's a lot of them out there. Enduramax is, you know, a popular one and it works pretty good, but there are others. Um, what you're looking for in a standard electrolyte is one that, when I say sweat balance, it, it should have sodium, potassium, and magnesium in, in, in appropriate quantities. Um, I also use, I also give calcium gluconate and um, CMPK. So CMPK is, is helpful because that really gets, I think that's really the fastest way to get electrolytes into the horse. So if you want to just get them in quick right before you go or, you know, the horse seems to be a little stiff or something, you know, if you give electrolytes and they come, and they come back right away, um, then you can get an idea of, you know, is my horse sore because, because his electrolytes in, are imbalanced or is he sore for some other reason. So it can give you a quicker read on your horse. And then the calcium gluconate product is um, something that I would, I'm not entirely sure what the mechanism is on it, but I can tell you that I have seen it, it trigger horses that weren't eating to eat really quickly. Um, so I would hypothesize, and this is total conjecture, that it must either spike the insulin or cause another, you know, hormonal response that, that makes horses want to eat. So that uh, product works great too. Um, but the real reason we give calcium gluconate is also to help with muscle soreness. So um, your, your, your calcium isn't just important for, for your bones. It's also important for signaling of cells. So in order to, you know, for your cell to say, I'm going to contract, it needs calcium to send that, that message down the, down the pike. So so it's a really good good one to help keep your horse from getting sore as well. So, um, and, and it's it's hard. There's not a lot of sources of calcium that are super bioavailable, so that when they when they take them in, that they actually go to the places you know go into the bloodstream and actually do their job right away. So, calcium gluconate is another great tool. So, generally, you know before before the ride, up leading up to the ride, I'm giving syringes of um, you know water and, and restore SR. Starting the morning of, I give, before I leave, I use 60 cc syringes. I give one, so I, what I usually do is I put my electrolytes in first, then I put in calcium gluconate, um, fill, it, fill the syringe to the top, shake it up, um, give it to her. Then I do the second electrolyte, um, which is be that, you know, the quicker release electrolyte, fill that one with CMPK and, and electrolyte and give that as well. So um, I think both those products work good. So. I have, you know, based on the blood testing that I've done on electrolyte levels, have I used to give one syringe of electrolytes and now I give two. So I, I'm thinking that my electrolyte levels should be much more on, but um, we'll find out in November when we go to our next uh, ride in the southeast. So our next planned ride is going to be Broxton um, for JG Short stuff, and hopefully we can uh, try for our COC time there. And then also, I have to do one more 50 for Chasmin this year. Uh, we'll probably do that in a couple of weeks at 
Drawrama, which is a, another ride in Wisconsin. So, um, the, uh, you know, I guess the AERC Wisconsin season is sort of winding down. The FEI season is sort of winding up. So we'll be continuing on our, on our endurance journey throughout the year. So I hope you enjoyed listening and hope to hear from you if you have any questions. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hi everyone, this is Victoria from Marvel Endurance in Queensland, Australia. So it's been about four months since my last submission when I talked a bit about our team's adventures at the Queensland State Championships where we had all four of our riders entered into the 80 kilometre ride and we all came out with, in, with a completion which we were very excited about. Um, since then we've gone to four more rides so I'll start at the first one and work my way down toward now. About a month after state champs, we went on our annual trip to the Marumba ride, which is about four hours away. It's one of our favourites and we never miss it. It's a truly fabulous ride. One of the things that makes it a little interesting is the beautiful, big, loud steel footbridge that we all have to cross right at the start of the ride. And there's no way around it, so we have to cross it on the way back too. Thankfully, our horses are all pretty good with it. I think in part because they wear polyurethane shoes and they don't make as much steel and aren't as slippery as steel shoes. So our lineup for the ride was four horses in the 83-kilometre ride. I rode my Palomino gelding Mizzy. Jasmine was on my crazy little bay mare Coda. And Adriana was taking her old faithful Syrah. And we had a young rider named Molly lined up to ride Vegas. Um, it was an eventful trip, starting out with a rather horrific float accident. We'd barely made it five minutes down the road before Sarah, who hadn't been to a ride or on a float in over a year, fell down in the float. I was in the car behind, so Adriana and I saw it all happen, and we managed to contact Kat, who was towing the float in front of us, and she stopped on the side of the highway. Um, the way it all happened is a bit of a long story, but I'll summarise it by saying that Sarah exited the float on his own terms out of the personal access door in the front that is designed for people. He was miraculously only a little scratched up. Um, I decided to shuffle the horses around and put him on the float that my husband and I were towing so we could watch him. The windows on the front of it are a bit wider so we could see him better while we were driving. Um, Adriana was a bit of a mess to say the least, understandably of course, because it was a very traumatic thing for us at least. Sarah was fine. He walked straight onto the other float and did not even bother, was not fussed at all. In fact, he spent most of the ride, I think, um, eating the hay bale that he was not supposed to be able to reach. Um, I insisted that he was coming to the ride anyway because I figured if he was going to have a problem, I'd rather him be with me and in the vicinity of a vet at a ride than at home in the paddock while we're all away for the weekend. Um, we ended up getting to the ride at a reasonable time without any further incidents. All the horses looked great and we got set up and met up with Molly and Jasmine. They'd come from Toowoomba, which was from another direction. Um, Molly took Vegas for a ride and afterward we discovered that she wasn't quite right, um, just a little bit off somewhere in the hind so it would be best not to start her in the ride. So that left us with three in the 83 kilometre ride, 
Jazz was going to ride with me. I planned to do it reasonably quick and it being Jasmine's first ride as an open rider I was pretty keen to let her stretch Coda's legs. Um, Adriana was going to be taking it easy and found a couple of friends to ride along with. Mizzy is not a fast horse so it wasn't the quickest I've done the Marumba track but we ended up placing third lightweight and Jasmine along with us on Coda came in as the first junior across the line and we later had her awarded best condition so that was really good. We were there to photograph Adriana and Sarah as they crossed the finish line two hours behind us to complete Sarah's first ride in more than a year. So all in all it was a pretty great ride. Our next outing was to Biggenden which is actually the ride club that we're a part of. The Marvel team sponsored all of the best conditioned awards which were a lovely boxed crystal trophy with a silver horse head figure. Um, it was my 14-year-old sister's third 80-kilometre ride, and she was on Mizzy. Adriana was riding our chestnut gelding Jarzy for his third 80, and I was riding Coda, just because my mother wouldn't let my sister out by herself, and I'm a glutton for punishment. I was actually really sick the whole week before the ride, so I was not going into it 100%, and riding Coda with a thick head is never ideal. Uh, we all ended up vetting through that evening, so it was a great result, though Coda and I parted company twice on the second loop. I didn't hit my head either time, but the swing of being thrown sideways made my head feel like it had been shook like a snow globe, and that was less than fun. We had a pre-ride disaster strike when our teammate Beth's horse got a fright and bolted from her yard. But thankfully no one was injured and Merlin was caught and returned peacefully. Uh, Beth went on to ride in her first 40 kilometre with Kat and Vegas that afternoon and we had a 5 out of 5 for Biggenden. Two weeks later, Adriana, Jasmine and I took a trip away for the weekend, two dogs and two horses in tow. We attended the Sparkler ride. Adriana has never done it before and it was the last opportunity for Jazz to do a ride before she headed back to boarding school. So they were entered in the 80 kilometre on Mizzy and Coda and it was a three loop ride so they were going to be a bit late coming back in. They eventually finished a little bit before 1am and I almost got caught napping because I was quite literally napping in the car and wasn't expecting them to arrive for a little while longer. I just happened to look out the window and saw a couple of headlights coming and got out to check and it was them. It was really quite chilly so we only took the horses heart rates and they were low enough so we took them straight into the vet ring. Adriana and Mizzy vetted through nicely for a completion and Jasmine and Coda finished as third juniors so we were very happy with that end result. Last but not least is our final ride for the 2018 season. It was actually just this weekend gone, the 10th of November, so it was expectedly warm, of course. Um, it was actually two days before the anniversary, the seventh anniversary of my very first ride, which incidentally was at the same place. Um, I, I wanted a nice ride, so I decided to take Mizzy instead of Coda, and along with me, I had my awesome friend Brittany. She actually owns Jarzy, the horse I've been training this year that Adriana has ridden, so I was bringing him along for Brit to do her first 40k. It all went along swimmingly. It was hot, but thankfully we had the amazing Sue Sutcliffe to strap our horses with us. 
Sue has been such a fantastic mentor to me through the years and we have shared some very special moments at rides and it was no exception this weekend because she was just as happy as we were when the horses both fitted through. So in total this year, our team has had seven riders, nine horses, 32 entries in 15 events at 11 different rides and only four vet outs through the entire year. Our horses and riders have collectively ridden 1,775 kilometres in 2018. Three of our riders started the season as novice and all three are now open riders. We got Sarah off the 13-month rule. Jazzy is now open. Mizzy and Coda have both had 100% years and in just three months' time, it will be full steam ahead for the 2019 season and preparing for the Tom Quilty Gold Cup 2019. This is Courtney Kruger with some stories I recorded at Big South Fork at the Endurance Ride and the Ride and Tie races. My name is Kelly Stoneburner and I just did a ride and tie at Iron Mountain about two weeks ago for the first time with my uh, partner Annie. We had a really good time and um, then my brother was able to come join me today. Yeah, so I'm Paul Stoneburner. I've been riding for just about all my life, but this is my first ride and tie. Um, yeah, fortunate that I've got my sister Kelly Stoneburner and uh, yeah, she's facilitated this whole thing and it's uh, good to finally be able to get out and actually get doing one of these things yeah at home we ride and run a lot so this was just fun to be able to actually do one at an event and paul's schedule usually never works out because he's in the military so it was really nice that it worked out and monday night i think it all came together he was like actually i can come so we decided to come and did the 30 miler today and we had to take it a little bit easy on the horse because she did a 50 mile ride yesterday with my daughter so we took it easy on her it was her first ride and tie and she figured it out we had a lot of fun and the trails were awesome those huge rocks that we had to come you know ride by coming out of the um gorge were really awesome that was the, i think that was the best part yeah definitely a beautiful place and definitely more to follow and everyone is so nice uh, i'm amy kerrigan and i started doing riding thai uh one year ago i'm ava allington i'm 13 years old and i've done two ride and tie races Okay, so today's race, um, so Ava's my daughter and she had a goal that she wanted to complete in the next 10 years, a 30 mile ride and tie. So that's what we thought we were gonna do and um, we ended up with one horse and four people which doesn't work in ride and tie. So um, <clears throat> what we ended up doing was splitting a 30 miler into 215. So Ava and I, um, went out on a new horse for Ava to complete our 15 mile at Big South Fork, which we did. Um, and for me, it was really scary because I was on a completely new horse. And when before I did ride and tie, I was like always in an arena riding the same horses pretty much every week. It was really boring. So going out here and on my second race, um, only a little bit longer, but a new horse was really nerve-wracking, and we had to cross water, and there was sand, and my legs didn't feel like running, so I walked a lot, but it was really fun. So I think um, unusual occurrence for today was towards the start. Um, we were on a straightaway, and down the trail a ways was a black bear. 
and I got a little nervous. I was on foot. Ava was behind me on the horse, and uh, another horse rider was like, it's okay, he'll, he'll get out of the way, and I guess he did, but he was a baby, and that, you know, babies are cute, but Mama usually isn't far behind, so what he did uh, kind of waddle back off into the woods. I think Ava can maybe say more about that. She got a little closer to him. Yeah, and so when we rode up to him, um, I was worried that the bear was just going to, like, call for its mom. It didn't. It just ran away, and it was running down the trail for quite some time, and it just turns off to, into the woods. And I like little baby bears. I love bears in general, though, because they, like, they waddle when they run, so it's really cute. Uh, let's see, another first for the day. Uh, I have a bee allergy, so I got stung by yellow jackets um, about hour 45 minutes into the race and wasn't sure how my body was going to react so quick took a benadryl and um fought down some anxiety over whether or not i was gonna die <laughs> um and then a, a another uh teammate not not my teammate but another teammate uh kind of you know reminded me to think about whether or not my tongue was swelling and but um nothing happened it, the Benadryl must have worked other than just making me tired getting through the rest of the race. And um, I'll let Ava tell you about our huge river crossing, which is great, which helped the bee sting, too. Um, so we came up to a river. I was on a horse, and I saw another teammate who is, or not my teammate, but someone else on a horse. And they were like, should we wait for our teammates? What do we do? And I'm like, I'm not sure. And so both of our teammates ended up coming up behind us. And so we tried to go, and Coda doesn't like the water apparently. So we were in the water and Coda was just trying to get across and it was like kind of like sidestepping and getting crazy. And the mom's like, Ava, wait, we're going to take a picture. And I'm like, but, but Coda won't stand still. And so Coda, I kept spinning Coda and whatever would not stand still. But eventually we got across and Coda was just like, started like trotting really fast up the like concrete hill thingy at the end, really excited to get out of the water. It's really funny. This is Courtney Krug. I'm gonna interrupt right here for a second because I also rode Coda back from the we, the way we split that 30 mile race. Carrie Barris and I rode Coda back, and we had a very similar experience. I hadn't heard your experience until just now. When we got to the river, we decided that we also wanted to take pictures, and Coda just wanted nothing to do with it. He just, <laughs> I, we thought he was just anxious to get across the river because he's such a competitor, and he was like, "We don't have time for a photo op. This is a race. Come on, guys!" But that's so funny to hear y'all say that too, because that was exactly our experience. And, and we actually switched in the middle of the river, so took pictures of Carrie on Coda, and then I got on Coda, and Coda was just fit to be tied, or actually untied, he just wanted to go, and he was not happy about this photo op right in the middle of a race. He, he, he's much more a competitor than, apparently than we are. Anything you got? Uh, no, I would just, get Coda is, uh, so I have rode Coda once a year ago, and I uh, haven't gotten on him again till now, and he is, he is so funny. He's, he's super competitive with just a total race brain. And the thing that made today a little more challenging, too, was with uh, endurance riders out on the trail who weren't getting on and off. Um, if we were trying to make a switch uh, while we were by endurance riders, Coda was a little upset that he was being he was being left behind. So added another little element of needing to spin and um, get him to 
actually in some cases go back the wrong way up the trail to calm him down um, just because he wanted to be he wants to lead he wants to win Coda is is my horse he's about a 15-2 uh, Arabians he's fairly tall for an Arabian and very tall for a riding tie horse but that does give him this huge trot that's just so much fun to ride and he's so fast on that trot and and uh, as as amy just said he is so competitive and he does not want a horse to be ahead of him <laughs> and sometimes that causes a few problems uh, i want to tell another couple of riding tie stories from actually one is an endurance story from big south fork as long as we're here at big south fork our other horse that we've used for riding tie over the years is named Cruz, and he was the first horse that i ever did riding tie on and also the first horse that both amy and ava did riding tie on he started lots of people in their, their riding tie career. And my second race ever on cruise was with my daughter here at Big South Fork. And we were going to do a 15-mile race. And we got maybe two miles in. And, and uh, I had tied him. And no, Sarah had tied him. My daughter had tied him. And I was ahead of her on foot. Some, and I was behind her. That's what it was. I was behind Sarah. She tied a cruise and I never found cruise and I'm still running I'm still running I'm still running and another riding tie team passed me and they went around a big corner and I heard them say Sarah your dad's on foot right behind you something is wrong and I'd almost caught Sarah on foot and I meant I had passed cruise but what had happened is somehow cruise had come untied both Sarah and I were rookies and we just didn't know how to tie well I guess at that point and uh, so, so Sarah said, well, and she was 15 at the time. So she said, Dad, I know where I tied him. I'll run back and see if he's still there. Maybe you just ran past him. You keep going because that'll keep us in this race. It was just amazing that my 15-year-old and I are, are actually trying to stay competitive when there's a missing horse. <laughs> so she goes backwards to go see where he is. I keep going forwards. And as I'm running into the, the camp at the, the end, everybody's cheering because we're rookies. This is our second race. And they see me running there cheering i'm like no 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 don't cheer for me i don't know where our horse is and then i realized i don't even know where my daughter is <laughs> and so all's well that ends well Cruz was actually missing for about six hours but an endurance rider found him realized a horse fully tacked up with a big number painted on his butt had to belong uh, here at the big south fork camp and so they ponied him in and uh, and all's well that's end well for that day well, then Sarah and I were going to do an endurance ride the next day. Now, this was early in my horse riding career, and I bet I had maybe 12 miles total, total seat time on a horse at that point. And Sarah was going to be my coach, and she was going to ride her newer uh, horse, and I was going to ride Cruz the next day in the 30-mile limited distance. Next morning, uh, morning dawns, and Sarah wakes up, and she is just sick to her stomach, and there's no way she's going to be able to ride. And so Sarah and Lee, my wife, say, it's no problem. We'll just, you just ride cruise. You know what you're doing. You just go ahead and ride cruise. You, you'll be fine. And so in, in retrospect, Lee says, I can't believe that I tossed you up on a horse and sent you out on a 30-mile limited distance ride when you just had such look. I did not know how to tie a saddle. Had that saddle come unloose, I couldn't have, have, have uh, tightened it back up. I knew nothing. It was just basically sit on the horse and pray. And uh, the first 15 miles, though, I kind of was with another couple of folks, and I told them I was a total rookie. And they said, well, just ride with us. 
And so that was fine. I did get stung by a yellow jacket that day too. And the only other time I've ever been stung by a yellow jacket was at Big South Fork. So there's just something about the, the yellow jackets in Big South Fork. And I guess this time of year, it's September. Uh, but I got the 15 mark point, mile point. Things were just going great. Everything was super. It was raining cats and dogs. Uh, we, we go through the hold, everything is fine, Cruise and I set back out, and the big difference now is we're by ourselves, we're not with somebody else. And so we're making it down the trail, and we're doing okay for maybe the first half mile, and then two 50-mile endurance riders come by, and they are in contention, and so they are moving fast, and Cruise wants to be with them, and I don't want to go as fast as they're going in the rain on all this slick clay that, that Big South Fork has, and I fought that horse, and the only way I knew how to fight him was to pull back on the reins. I knew, I knew nothing more than that, and it's a wonder I didn't just rip his mouth out. But I fought him for eight solid miles until we got to the river. And I said to myself, if I can just get to the river, I'm getting off the horse, and I don't know what we're going to do at the river, but I'm going to make a decision, and maybe I'm just going to quit. Even though I don't know what I would have done, you're still eight miles from the camp at that point. But I got off of him, and we got in the river, and he drank, and I kind of calmed down, and he kind of calmed down. And the next eight miles were just wonderful. And I learned a huge lesson, which is if you're calm, you've got a lot better chance of your horse being calm. And so my first uh, LD was as a just total rookie and thanks to Cruz being the pro that he's always been he got me through so that's uh, another big south fork both ride and tie and endurance story hi my name's Lori Olson and I've written a book that I'd like to tell you about the title of the book is endurance years gone by First, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I've been involved in the sport of endurance since the late 70s as a junior. Over the course of those years, I've accumulated just under 13,000 miles, including over 2,100 mile rides. During those years, there's been a lot of changes uh, in techniques, philosophies, and especially riders. Years ago, when I was at the Bear Valley Springs ride in the Pacific South region, I was talking with someone about Rio. This person had never heard of Rio and I was shocked. How could anyone in endurance not know about the great Aro Grand Sultan? But I thought to myself, how could they know? Rio hadn't been on the trail for a few years and all the magazines with him on the cover or articles written about him had most likely been thrown away or piled in a closet somewhere. I had an idea about writing a book about Rio and other horses and people in the early years of the sport I made a few lists and I tucked them away for several years. You know, I'm not an author, I'm a writer. And uh, what makes me think I can write a book? Time went by and I never forgot the idea of a book. So in the summer of 2014, I was at the fireworks ride in the West region and I talked to Julie Sir about my idea. Julie had already written a couple of her own books and she would know everyone on my list. Of course, she was encouraging and thought it was a great idea. No one had ever written a book on great horses and riders from uh, years ago. With her encouragement, I started, not knowing what I was doing. The research was fun, poring over old magazines, including Endurance News, AERC yearbooks, Saddle Action, Trails Digest, and Trailblazers. Next, I actually had to interview people about themselves, family members, and the horses. 
I'm quite an introverted person, so this was definitely out of my comfort zone. I started with people I knew and started out telling them I would be learning how to do this with them as my guinea pigs. These people included Julie Sir, Becky Hart, and Trilby Peterson. They were great. They helped me develop my confidence for all the others I needed to contact. Fast forward one and a half years, I had a book that was ready to go to print. So the, and the book was titled Endurance Years Gone By. Dick Carter, a friend of mine, created a beautiful original cover, and Susan uh, Garlinghouse wrote the foreword. I asked Susan to write the foreword because she was chair of the AERC Education Committee, and I was going to donate a percent of the, of the proceeds uh, back to the Education Committee. Now I had a book, and they needed to be sold to help recover my costs and have something to give back to AERC. Again, selling is way out of my comfort zone. Slowly, people started buying them. I was especially encouraged when people would buy one and come back to me and buy more to give to friends as Christmas gifts. I'd like to read a couple little sections from you out of the book. Um, to set the scene, I, this is uh, a, a few paragraphs in Trilby Peterson's chapter. Um, Trilby ultimately was the first person to um, reach the 50,000 mile mark back in uh, 2000. So I'm just going to start here on page 155. A, rival, a rivalry had developed be, between Trilby and another accomplished writer, endurance rider Les Carr. A bet was made and the race was on. The 1986 race for miles. Who could ride the most miles in one season? It was a crazy year, one that will never be forgotten as the greatest battle for miles ever. Trilby's statistics were astounding in the world of endurance. She completed 110 sanctioned rides for 7,040 miles in 16 states on over 30 different horses. Most were leased or borrowed because she owned only four at the time. The leased and borrowed horses were kept in strategic locations all over the country to minimize travel time. Trilby traveled by every way possible to arrive at rides in time for the start, including privately chartered jets, while the crew would bring the horses. Her travel schedule was crazy. She would finish one ride, sometimes a hundred miler. Upon finishing, her driver would take her through the night to the next ride to a 50 on another horse the following day. The week of Tevis, she started with a 60 mile ride in Oregon, then went on to ride six days on the lost wagon train ride, which was in the Northwest region. Which, and that was uh, 310 miles. The week was topped off by riding Tevis for a total of 475 miles in eight days. Even our hardcore XP riders do not put up these kind of miles in eight days. There were plenty of stories that came with the hectic year. On one trip, Trilby lost her bag of dirty, stinky clothes on a flight home. She was tired and left the bag in the overhead compartment. When she realized it was left behind, she contacted the airline, but it was never found. Someone may have thought they found a treasure until they took it home and opened the bag.
in the in the end, I'll just give you the the synopsis. Um, Les Carr actually won that race for miles by a very very small margin. Now I'd like to read just a small part of um, the chapter on Rio, who I mentioned earlier. This was at the 1992 World Championship. It was in Barcelona, Spain. Becky and Rio were back on the trail representing the USA as a two-time world champion. Coming near the end of the ride, a French rider was released from a vet check six minutes early. Rio was up for the challenge and took off after her. He did catch up, but then lost a hind shoe. Beck came to a stop, put on an easy boot. The French team came into the last vet checks three minutes before Becky and Rio, but Rio still recovered first. Unfortunately, Rio needed both hind shoes replaced. They left the last vet check at a full gallop. Rio knew there was one horse to catch. On a six-mile uphill, Rio pushed himself and did catch and pass the French horse. This 100-mile ride finished in a polo field with trees in the, in the backside and very little light, lighting. No one saw the little dark American horse enter the galloping track around the field. Becky was halfway around the track when she heard the cheers from the crowds because the French rider had entered the stadium. It was not until the final stretch did the crowd and Rio's crew see them in first place. Everyone erupted in excitement. Becky and Rio won the individual gold medal at the World Championship for a third time. So, as you can see, Rio was quite spectacular. Several people encouraged me to write another book because they enjoyed the first one so much. It was a fun project and I love sharing all the information and stories I wrote about. There are so many interesting interesting people, athletic courses, and changes in the sport. Now there was a way for new riders to learn about these uh, accomplished people and horses from the early days, and they could learn about the trial and error or trial and success. It was easier to get started on a new book because I learned so much from the first. The new book will hopefully be in print by October or November. The title of the book, the new book, will be Enduring Memories. Dick Carter is creating another original cover, and Julie Sir is writing the foreword. Again, I'll give the uh, percentage of the proceeds uh, back to AERC Education Committee. If anyone's interested in a book, they can, I can be contacted at endurancehistory at gmail.com. I hope that everyone will take an interest in these amazing horses and fascinating people that help to create the sport we all know and love into what it is today. Thanks a lot. A couple of words of explanation before our next story. Lori Little is the one that I credit with teaching me how to make up songs as you're on the trail. You're kind of bored on the trail or it's really tough on the trail and you make up songs and change the lyrics to songs. And so I asked her if she would sing the song, the first song that she ever made up on the trail for Ride and Tie. And she sings it about her horse, She-Ra. And this was kind of tough for her because after a wonderful career and just a wonderful life that Lori was able to give to She-Ra and that She-Ra was able to offer back to Lori, uh, Lori had to put She-Ra down recently, and so it actually took her a couple of takes uh, to do this, but it's a wonderful testimony not only to the fun that we have in Ride and Tie and the ways that we can enjoy Ride and Tie, but also how much we love our horses and how much meaning they give to us, and uh, it is a testimony to a great horse and a great owner. So here is Lori Little. Okay. 
Hi, this is Lori Little. I've been doing ride and tie for about six years now, I guess. And um, one day my partner um, kind of left me. I took a wrong turn and she rode past me and then I got back on the trail. So I was running and she went on to camp without me. And so to while away the hours of running, I made up this song. Where, oh, where's my horse tied up? Why did they leave me here all alone? I searched the trails over and thought I saw Shira, but I turned the corner and no horse in sight. Yay! <laughs> I'm Joanne Mitchell. I have been the Big South Fork Ride and Time Manager since 1999, and we have completed. Um, Obviously, 20 riding ties of uh, various sizes of groups. Uh, the story I remember right now is, uh, I guess, one of Courtney Kruger's and his 15-year-old daughter Sarah's first ride and tie was when they were doing Jack Ridge loops, and when Sarah tied the horse, the horse got away, got into bees or something. But anyway. Courtney, the father, is obviously very concerned that his, you know, horse and daughter are out in the woods, uh, lost, and may or may not know their way back to camp, and uh, we jump in the truck, try to find the horse on what vehicle access roads we can. We can't find the horse. The good part is the horse was you know, led back into camp by another endurance rider, but it was six hours later, and much um, anxiety later. So, ride and tie is a very interesting sport. We get, we've got ultra runners, we've got people that don't run at all and they just walk the course. We've got junior riders that stay with their parent or grandparent and they just have a wonderful time in a family atmosphere. This is Courtney Kruger again. I want to talk about a couple of the places at Big South Fork that everybody knows about and either looks forward to or dreads. And of course, in the endurance and ride and tie world, there are lots of different places that are kind of iconic places. Cougar Rock, of course, at Tevis being the most iconic of all. Everybody knows uh, Cougar Rock and knows what that's all about. Well, at Big South Fork, most people, I think, really look forward to the opportunity to crossing the Big South Fork River. It's just kind of a fun river crossing, relatively shallow, but a, a fairly wide river and it's just a nice kind of a way to break up the trip you know when you get to the river you're uh, you know about uh, two-thirds maybe of the way to the vet check and then when you're coming back from the away vet check and get back to the river you know that you just have a few miles left six and a half seven maybe eight miles left to go before you get back to the uh, the finish and so it's just a nice way to mark it and when you're on foot it's nice because you can actually swim the river even though it's, it's rarely more than than maybe three feet deep but I almost always when I'm coming across it if I'm on foot I dive in because it's so hot and it's a great way to cool off the other uh, formation or, or other geographical feature that people kind of dread at Big South Fork is Duncan Hollow Hill 
and this is about I guess a three-quarter of a mile hill that is just a relentless uphill that comes fairly late in the race if you're doing the 30 mile race it is about mile 25 or so you start coming up that hill if you're doing the 50 mile race it's at about mile 45 that you're coming up that hill and so it's late in the race you're tired the horse is tired and then you have this just relentless uphill for a while and it's it's just so painful to go up uh, this year as uh, we cross a big creek there's a real deep creek crossing which again when I'm on foot I love to go ahead and immerse myself in the creek and get cooled off because I knew as soon as I come out of that creek we're headed up Duncan Hollow and so this this year we started heading up and it was our horse Coda's uh, first uh, time to go across the river last year we had to do both of the day races on the other side of the river because the river was too high so it's the first time he's going to the other side of the river first time he's been on Duncan Hollow and we start heading up Duncan Hollow and I say to Coda, Coda, you are now doing the second hardest hill in the East Coast in Ride and Tie. The first hardest being the gas line at Old Dominion at Orkney Springs, which he had to do a couple of times already this year. And so here we go up the, the Duncan Hollow Hill and Carrie Barris and I, my partner, we only were the only team in that particular race. So we really weren't racing. We were just out having a great day of Ride and Tie. Uh, but Coda doesn't see it that way. Coda is super competitive. He's super forward and he really wants to just kind of charge up that hill and so to kind of try to settle him down a little bit I said to him Coda you don't have to go so fast Liara Gonzalez is hundreds of miles away from here and the reason I said that is the second story I want to tell of three about uh, the hill the first being the one I just told you Liara Gonzalez was in the last ride and tie that we did and she talked about being pregnant and racing so hard and getting uh, sick along the, the trail not knowing that she was pregnant but still coming in ahead of the team that she was trying to beat she is just a relentless fierce competitor and uh, if she is trying to win a race uh, she's probably going to win a race and two years ago my brother-in-law Mark Landers and I we're in the 30-mile ride and tie along with Liara and her partner, Barb Matthews. And Barb is also just an incredible uh, ride and tie competitor. And so Mark and I get to Duncan Hollow Hill, and we are ahead of them by just a little bit. We're not sure how far ahead of them we are, but we know we're ahead of them. And I said to Mark, in spite of the fact that this, this hill is so tough, there's enough switchbacks, we need to get far enough up it so that they don't see us. Because if Liara sees us, she will beat us. She's almost like one of these mythical creatures where if you look at it, you you die it's kind of the reverse if Liara sees you ahead of you you're going to die she's going to come and and beat you and so we are really trying so hard to get up that hill as fast as we can because once you get to the top it's a relatively uh, flat and and straight about four miles or so to the finish and I thought she might be able to see us in one of those straightaways but not if we made enough good time coming up the hill another little ride and tie a bit of strategy is when people are behind you if they don't know how far behind you they are they tend to go a little bit slower but if they know they're fairly close that gives them of course the encouragement uh to to try to catch you and so we are really working up Duncan Hollow Hill, working it as hard as we can. And it is such a tough hill. And I'm on foot, and I have just crested out. And at the very top of Duncan Hollow Hill, you come out onto a dirt road, and it's nice and flat. And, and I've just crested out. I'm feeling pretty good because we're ahead of them, and they didn't see us coming up the hill. And here comes Liara on the horse, and she crests out. And there is a hitching post right there at the top of that hill. She jumps off the horse, ties the horse to the hitching post, and takes off. And Mark and I, I think, flip-flop back and forth with them a couple of times, but within a mile or so, they had already gotten out ahead of us, and they beat us in that race.
Now, my third story about Duncan Isle Hill takes place two years before that, back at the 2014 East Coast Ride and Tie Championship. First time there had been any kind of a Ride and Tie Championship on the East. This was the first ever East Coast Championship. My daughter Sarah Kruger and I were uh, in the race together. We were partners. And we get to Duncan Hollow Hill, and as we cross that big creek and are headed towards the hill, there right ahead of us are Jarvis Pickens and Perry Summers. And they both were uh, really better runners probably than we were, and uh, they probably should have beaten us. However, they both were chafing pretty badly. And anybody that rides horses for long knows that that happens from time to time when you're horsing. And both of their legs were really, really chafing pretty badly. And it was painful for them to be in the saddle and also painful for them to be on the ground. And I think going up that hill just was excruciating. And so Sarah and I actually got out just a little bit ahead of them. I mean, less than a tenth of a mile, but we got a little bit ahead of them as we made our way up the hill. And we're making our way up the hill, and the ride and tie community is small enough that I'm now counting in my head how many teams are in front of us. And I can only count nine teams in front of us. And so I said to Sarah, if we once we get to the top of this hill, if we really push and stay ahead of Jarvis and Perry, I think we're going to top 10. And wouldn't that be cool to top 10 the first ever championship on the East Coast? And so that's our new goal. So we get to the top, and we get to that, that uh, long dirt road. It's about, I guess, four miles or so uh, into camp and we are just pushing as hard as we can and at the time I really was the better runner and Sarah was the better rider and so without telling her that I was worried that she might not be able to run as fast as we needed the team to run I just started tying short so we were planning to do about half a mile ties and so I started tying at maybe a quarter of a mile or maybe three-tenths of a mile. And uh, she quickly realized that I was tying short, and she realized why I was tying short. Sarah is no fool. And so when she caught me on the horse at one point, she said, Dad, I can run. I'm fine. We need to stick with our plan. We were tying at half-mile ties. Let's do half-mile ties. So appropriately chastised, I began doing the working the plan again, tying half mile ties. We come into the finish line. Of course, everybody is cheering as they come across the finish line. I look over at my wife and I hold up my, my two hands and say, are we 10th? And she said, no, you're 11th. And so all of that work, and we didn't top 10, but still it was a great day. And I never, ever go up Duncan Hollow without thinking about all these stories. And I hope that I'll have many, many stories in years to come about Duncan Hollow and also about crossing the Big South Fork River. Daryl from New Zealand here again with a post-Tevis update. So Tevis is now in the past. Jenny and I are still in California, but we fly out tonight back to a New Zealand winter. We're heading home without the buckle, but with a great experience behind us for both of us and a lot of new friends. For me, as a crewing experience, it's been awesome. My first time here, I felt unprepared and like a complete novice. This time, I've been able to meet the horse first, find out from the owners what they expected of me, and actually plan what I needed, where and how I was going to, and how where and how I was going to get there. As luck would have it, my best friend Cindy, who lives in California, decided that she was going to be wherever I was, and she has a Silverado. We made good use of that. Cindy knows nothing about endurance, but she allocated herself to looking after the rider all day, making sure that everything Jenny needed was exactly where she needed it, eating, drinking, chair and shade. Turns out Cindy's family have connections with the Tevis historically, so her family were also following our rider online, and it's highly possible we've now created a few more Tevis addicts. So we had everything organised as to what we needed at each crew point, everything organised, 
time to just get out there and do it. We all went up to Roby Park for the briefings and the shopping, of course, and to see everyone vetted through. In the crew briefing, they stressed really heavily to us that we needed to remove all hay, poo and leftover feed from Robinson Flat. Robinson Flat. Three times they said, put your tarp down. So before we went to Robinson Flat the next morning, I made sure we had one. We got extra ice as well, just in case, and smart water for Jenny. At the new rider briefing, just after, there was a major distraction as a bear wandered through the meadow and around the edge of the camp. Apparently he spent the night investigating campsites. I didn't hear of any adverse effects for horses though, so that's good. Tevis morning was an early start to get up to Robinson Flat and get set up. It's a surprisingly long drive to get up there, but it's a paved road all the way, so pretty easy. When you drive into Robinson Flat for crewing, you have three minutes to, to, on, to offload your stuff and get the vehicle out of there. By the time we got there, the flat ground was all taken, but Tamara found us a good spot quite a way back, but pretty close to the out-timers. Good spot. We put the tarp down, put the hay on it and the food for the horse next to it, set up chairs and then went down to wait for the riders. From Robinson Flat, you can walk up the track a little to see the riders coming in. So we went up and stood with everyone else along the, along the track, doing the endurance dance with our phones to try and get service. There wasn't any. The leaders came in and we were counting off riders. I can't remember what, Je what rank Jenny was coming in. Far enough back to be not racing, which was always the plan. Saddle off, water on. It was pretty hot and the heart rate was fluctuating a bit, so we waited longer than we maybe needed to before going in, at which point the heart rate dropped like a stone. This is an experienced horse who really knows the game. Nice trot up and we were cleared for the next phase. Philoette ate well and drank. Jenny sat, washed the dirt off her face and ate well and drank. By this time we had the news that our other rider had pulled at Red Star Ridge, so only one horse to worry about now. The whole time for Tevis is an hour. Cindy's job was to make sure we didn't forget the time out, the out time, and remind me so that we got saddled up in time. I could have taken an extra five minutes actually because we were saddled up well ahead of time and Jenny was back up at the out timers with time to spare. So rider now back on track, we as crew had to pack everything back out down the road to the truck, clean up our camp and get down to Forest Hill. The tarp was a godsend at this point. We just lifted up the corners and folded all the hay seeds up with it. Packing up was a breeze. Cindy had also brought a collapsible wagon trolley for us to use, which made a huge difference. Cindy and I arrived down at Forest Hill and weren't sure where the rest of our crew was with the trailer, so we cruised around a little and found a spot right near the P&R box that had shade, was close to toilets and didn't seem to be out of bounds. So we offloaded there and Cindy went off to park the vehicle. I figured we could move if we needed. Our other rider, Potato, was over in the treatment area to get cleared to take the horse home, since they live so local. I got him a bottle of water as well, and then we saw Doris White also sitting there. Doris will tell you her own story, but she had pulled because she wasn't feeling good. Cindy and I got her some water as well and gave her some watermelon, and got some hay for her horse, who was just fine by the way. Potato's horse, Fifi, was cleared to leave. There were a number of other horses in there who weren't. Potato checked the hold area that I'd set up and approved it, and then they headed off to take the horse home, leaving us to wait for Jenny. I started getting messages from home that Jenny's tracker wasn't working. It showed her as still not having reached Robinson Flat, and that was three hours ago. Cindy's daughter, who'd never heard of endurance before, was messaging saying, she hasn't moved for three hours, is that normal? So I headed over to the computer people to find out what 
<clears throat> to find out about it and uh, to find out what we could do about it. And they swung into motion and to find another tracker for her to switch when she came into Forest Hill. They were all so very patient and helpful. It seemed to be taking an awfully long time. My phone was flat and I couldn't check the Tevis page for progress. I kept going up and asking the computer people. I'd walk up and ask, Rider 31? And they'd say, showing out of Deadwood at 3.43. They kept telling me that about every two minutes for what seemed like an hour. I think I swear I asked them every two minutes. They must have been so sick of me. Finally, they said she'd left Michigan half an hour ago and had finally updated. Yay! So we headed down Bath Road to wait for her with buckets and wagon. I love this bit at Forest Hill. The locals have viewing areas on their lawns with chairs all set up. There are hoses set up to, to cool the horses off and it's a real atmosphere. Finally, we saw her coming up the road. Cindy was taking pictures. My friend Gabrielle had joined us by this point and was invaluable. Saddle off, water on, walking up the hill to the crew area and the heart rate was down quickly and they were in the vet ring and trotting out. Horse even better than last time. We brought her over to the shade and gave her food and water, same for Jenny, plus massage since we now had Gab. Philoet was just about going to sleep by the time it was time to saddle up again. Tracker changed over to a functioning one, headlamp in place, they were out on the next leg. So we got packed up again and headed home for a shower and some food, and to put updates online for everyone back home. So then it was back into Auburn for the, to the fairgrounds to wait for the finish. We unloaded, didn't need much this time, and then Tamara told me to, maybe she, Tamara made me go lie down for a while. I put the horse blanket down and had a sleep for half an hour in the bleachers. Online we saw that Jenny was through the river crossing, so close to home you could almost reach out and grab them. So I headed up to the overlook, the time finished with our New Zealand flag to walk them in, and then Gab texted me one word, lame. We were gutted. <coughs> Jenny can fill you in on the details, but Philoet had stumbled slightly and was out lame in front at Lower Quarry, so close and yet so far. She was in good company. There were quite a few of them that got pulled at Lower Quarry, and a number of them were very well-known names. Doesn't make it easier, though. Just gutting. We had to wait ages for them to get back to the fairgrounds. I asked for an ETA and got told that the ones who needed veterinary attention would get first priority. I figured that was good. If our horse was taking a while, then obviously she was okay. In the meantime, a car pulled up and the driver was looking for Barn B because he needed to find the crew for a rider who was unwell. I started to head off to find the barn and then asked who the rider was. When he said Chrissy Drummond, I just reached for my phone and messaged Keisha Wood. Much quicker. Jenny and Philoet arrived in a while later. They were fine. Vet didn't need to see her, so we loaded Philoet in her trailer and sent her and Potato off home. Then we headed off to our own beds and slept until almost ten. What an experience. I've been taught always to look back and analyse after each ride, what went right and what went wrong. From a, from a crewing point of view, I think we had it pretty much spot on. It's always hard when you're having to slot into someone else's infrastructure. With two horses running, we basically separated into two crews, with Cindy and I allocated to Jenny and the others allocated to Potato. We were able to source the extra, th extra things I wanted, and everything was where it was meant to be. It's a great shame that it finished at Lower Quarry rather than with a buckle presentation, but that's horses, that's endurance. If this was easy, everyone would be doing it. We still have something left to achieve and hopefully we'll get the chance to do that. Better start saving now. Bye for now. Hey, it's Keisha. It's 3.53 in the morning. I'm standing outside of No Hands Bridge and um, 
It's a bittersweet morning. Cressy overtimed at uh, the last vet check, so she's not going to make it. Susie Jones also was uh, pulled. Her horse was lame, but I'm guessing it was probably because Susie Jones was um, pretty hurt. Uh, well, it was just her... Um, the stirrups were really, really um, messing with her when she was riding earlier, and her legs were just in a lot of pain. So I'm sure her riding differently probably affected her horse. And um, I just now went to No Hands Bridge to meet Melanie. It's only four miles to the finish from No Hands Bridge, and she happened to be with my friend Victoria Ordway, who's out here in California, and I'm so excited for her for that because Victoria is so dang fun. So I know the last four miles, she's going to have a blast. And who knows how long they went together. But um, it's neat just walking on the trail out here. I don't know if you can hear my feet walking on this. But I'm walking next to the American River. You can see it way down there flowing. And the moon um, and the sky, it's so bright. And I can't even imagine being able to ride this trail on your own horse that you love so much under this moon and hearing the river it's awesome um but uh we're going back to the fairgrounds gonna get the stall ready for Cressy and Saga to um come home and rest and you know I'm so proud of her no matter what because I know her overtiming is because she was taking care of him it was so rough and every time I saw her today, she was just covered in dirt. And I was so proud of her. So just seeing her do it was um, like getting a buckle to me. But anyways, I just wanted to give you guys an update. And I'll try to get you guys one tomorrow when we're watching all of the events. And when the horses come in through the banquet. But uh, that's it for now. And maybe I'll get some sleep between now and then. <laughs> All right, bye guys. It's Keisha again, it's 4 a.m. in the morning. I just wanted to give a quick update because I'm super sad. I was just looking at the standings and I was hoping I'd see Jenny be coming um, through the finish soon. And I saw that she got pulled for lameness. But Jenny, if you're listening to this, I'm so proud of you. And getting to watch you at every single stop was so great. And I'm so glad to meet you. I feel so blessed to be a part of this entire experience. And Tevis is now over. The horses are doing wonderful. Eating, recuperating, resting, and so are the people. Until next year. Hi everybody, this is Chris again. And I know this was a super long episode of the podcast. I wanted to blend some of the Tevis audios with some of the other ones that were sent in. I hope you're all enjoying Courtney Kruger's Ride and Tie stories because I, I'm, I sure am. And Courtney edits those all himself and I really appreciate when he sends in audios. Thank you, Courtney. I wanted to not thank just Courtney. I want to say a big thank you to all of you for making this podcast happen because without your audios, there simply would be no podcast. So thank you for all the time and effort you took to create and send in the audio files. It was my goal when I started this podcast to bring young riders and old riders, new riders and seasoned riders together who love covering the ground 
in the sport of distance riding. Whether it is in ride and tie, or if it's in the Tevis, or if you're a novice rider, everybody's welcome. It has been quite a journey, a wonderful journey this year, and I am so honored to have gotten to know several of you. It's been great getting to know everybody through messages and emails. I even had Lindy sent me some books, and when Jenny Chandler was out in California, she sent me her New Zealand hat from out there. I just thought that was wonderful. I had no idea that we would make such connections when we put this podcast together. There's also a Facebook group for the Endurance Horse Podcast. So if you get a chance, go over there and check it out. And you can share and see pictures and videos of riders who have been on the podcast. The other goal of mine for this podcast this year, even though I started in March, was to create 12 episodes of the podcast, one for each month of the year. And we have made that goal a month early. If you would like to hear one more episode of the Endurance Horse Podcast this year, please go ahead and send in an audio file. As you already probably heard in Tim Campbell's audio, he asked me if I ever had plans on riding Tevis, and the answer is no, I do not. Uh, Just to see where I'm at, I only did one LD this year, so I am not some great endurance rider. I'm just somebody who had an idea to create the podcast to bring that community, the larger community, together. The one ride I did get to do this year was very special. It was with my long-lost, now-found friend, Tara Leroy. Finding each other again has been a true gift from God that I believe he had stored up for this season of my life. I can safely say that the one ride with her was good enough to make a blessed season for me. I feel so honored to have been there when she completed her first ride on a horse that she had dreamed of, bred, and raised. And everything happened just as she said in her audio. A mysterious cold wind did blow right before the finish line at the Louise Rydell. I was so grateful that Lori Olson shared her book, part of her book on the podcast. I think it's a great thing that she's done to go chronicle some of the horses and rider stories. Things that really were probably only told around a campfire. And like this podcast, Lori's gathering those stories so that they're not lost and that we can remember horses and riders gone by. So what I'm going to ask you all is show Lori some love, show her some support. Her books are available on Amazon and I provided links in the show notes, but you could also directly email Lori at endurancehistory at gmail.com. With that, Episode 12 is in the books, guys. Jim and I would like to send you much love and blessings from Wisconsin. Just in case this is the last episode of 2018, I want to wish you all joy, love, and happiness into the holiday season and throughout the new year. Goodbye for now, and happy trails from Wisconsin. This is Chris signing off. Episode 12 of the Endurance Horse Podcast.